0: Hey, Fiends of the Pod. This is your host, Nate Wyckoff. And I want to remind you, go ahead and like and subscribe and check out cultandclassicfilms.com where you can get uh, cult movies exclusive to us with uh, all sorts of extras like pogs. We're supposed to call them milk caps. They're not pogs. I don't know what pogs are. Autographed posters, slipcovers, all sorts of neat things. You can also subscribe to have them delivered to your door every month at a discount. That is cultandclassicfilms.com. Remember, like, subscribe, comment, and uh, refer to your friends, even your enemies. Every time you like and subscribe, we make sure Michael Sarah makes another film. Yeah, that's right. It's us. <laughs> Enjoy.
1: Welcome to Compton Classic. <laughs>
0: Welcome to another episode of Cult and Classic. I am your host, as always, Nate Wyckoff, comedian and writer for Horror News Network. With me today, we have Tad Mastriani. Hey, Tad. Howdy. And we have, and we have Jeff Tucker. Hey, what's up? My head is normal. Ah. We have uh, an awesome lineup for you today of Aliens Walk Among Us theme. Uh, first up, we have 1993's Coneheads, and then to follow that, we have the lesser-known 1992's Bad Channels. So, uh, I think a lot of us have heard of Coneheads before, even if, if you don't, haven't seen it or if you're too young to have ever seen the initial shorts. Of course, it's uh, a film that is based off the characters created in a Saturday Night Live skit, Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin as an alien couple who have giant cone-shaped heads. And I personally, I love this movie. Um, I know that there are differing opinions, but I also think this is probably the, the best Saturday Night Live film um, next to maybe Blues Brothers, something along those lines. Uh, but again, the competition's not necessarily that stiff mm. on that front. Um, I was gonna say,
1: is that much of an accolade?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just as a, as a summary of the film, so um, Beldar uh, is played by Dan Aykroyd, the, the uh, father of the family, and he and his wife, played by Jane Curtin, and her name is uh, Primat, They crash land on Earth, they're supposed to take it over, but instead they crash land, and they end up having to assimilate because their colleagues won't come and get them for uh, a long time. And they end up uh, having a child who is, of course, alien but raised on Earth. Um, And uh, yeah, I I think that pretty much, so here's the thing, here's what I love about this movie right off the bat. I love the fact that this movie uses something so ridiculous as big cone headed aliens to talk about um, social inequality and racism and uh, uh, illegal aliens. Um, It's shocking how this movie from you know 30 years ago is talking about something that is still so in fact even more so on all of our radars. Um, You know I, I don't know if anybody else was struck by that yeah yeah
2: yeah i I think that for me that was the key kind of element that that you know i I don't know like i brought away from this um and and i think that there's like a lot of these types of like films and movies where you watch them and you're like you know oh wow that's you know you know they they must have a time machine to know what was going on you know today but you know the reality is probably somebody's gonna you know, find an old recording of Conehead's 500 years from now and there'll still be borders <laughs> and st- people will still be pissed off at the people on the other side of the border for some reason. And, uh, yeah, and there'll they'll still be issues with people crossing the, said border. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, you know, the, the items brought up in this film will never die. and uh, Unfortunately. It will, it, yeah, it will always be like that thing where it, somebody pulls this up and they're like, wow, they're talking to- – man, a politician was just talking about putting fucking, you know, things on people's necks that shock them if they'd cross the border, you know? Was, I, right. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: Um, Yes, I, I think you're, you're probably right on that front. And as, a, as some background, just to, cause we can't get away from uh, two to three degrees of separation in any film we do here on Colton Classic because everything in Hollywood and in the film circles at large are connected. Steve Barron directed this film who uh, directed the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which is possibly my favorite film. And we referenced last week, our last uh, episode when we talked about uh, Ernie Reyes Jr. So I guess the other thing that struck me in this film is um, how when uh, Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin's characters uh, are trying to assimilate in, uh, to you know, U.S. society, their, their helpers are inherently uh, not white. Um, first, his, um, Beldar's employer is um, played by Sinbad, who who runs like a appliance repair shop, and then um, he's he's he becomes a taxi driver uh, and and is helped by yet another non-white um, character. And I think it it's it's a it's a it's never of course specifically. And that was I think Shashir Kurup who who played the cabby boss. It's never extremely obvious, um, but like in spoken language, but it's one of those cases where reality sort of falls into a really ridiculous comedy, right? Because, I mean, we're talking about people that are starting from zero with no social security number and they end up being helped out and joining uh, you know, minority cultures. And everyone sort of, it's a sweet scenario. Everyone kind of is helping them, you know? Um, and I've I, right now I found that really uplifting and really a nice mm. change that I hadn't <laughs> I haven't experienced
2: positivity for a while, you know. <laughs> mm. I get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there definitely was like a, uh, you know that welcoming community for you know the you know the previous generation of immigrants that uh, that you know I'm I'm sure is probably. Uh, pretty real to some people, you know, in, um, in, in in their experience. Um, But, uh, you know, then it also had the other side where, uh, you know, they were just arbitrarily, you know, despised by uh, a group of people. I I think the interesting thing, and actually in this case is, you know, like a lot of times the fear comes from the idea that people are going to come across the border and you know destroy our society or destroy our way yeah. of life or whatever right uh they literally the coneheads literally <laughs> that was ex- there they were here to come and you know take right. over the planet so that was the fears were real in this case yes uh, that's true yes yeah. so <laughs> I, I i like the kind of the, the the double irony of that right that is hilarious
0: i it, yes that's true um and and of course in in just like so many things it's ends up being that they fall in love with with our imperfect setup um and of course later in the in the film we get to see their imperfect planet set up um but just kind of to to illustrate this idea of um you know people helping them out in the minority situation and sort of characters who are are from immigrants or immigrants themselves sort of summarizing the culture that, that Beldar is stepping into. Let's Just listen to this bit with uh, Dan Aykroyd and Sinbad as they're driving in a car.
1: Beldar, if you're going to live and have kids, you're going to have to get yourself together. Buy yourself a car, maybe get a hat for that head. And you got to do something about those teeth. Hey. Yeah. Beldar, you know what the key to success in this country is? I do not. want well, I'm going to tell you. Look good, be your own boss, never get chained to a desk. When it comes to business, take cash only.
2: Look good, be your own boss, no desk, cash only. You got it.
1: (laughs) Get more of that gun, man? Of course. On second thought, I better not chew and drive. I might hit something.
0: What you hear there at the end of that clip is some physical comedy by Dan Aykroyd because the gum he's chewing is of course a bright red condom. And, and it's, it's, that's brought back up later. It's not the first time it's probably been made a joke and it's not the last time, but it is still funny to me. And here's one of the things that I think makes the film successful. And we'll get to Tad. I know you actually don't like this film. So we'll talk to you about this, but Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin commit one hundred and twenty percent to these characters. There is, there is no satire in their characters. There is not like really they play it one hundred percent as if they are mm-hmm. these robotic speaking, very odd characters, very intense faces. And in the beginning, before they acclimate, you know, before Sinbad gets his the device, they walk directly up and are like a, a centimeter from people's faces <laughs> when they're talking. Um, and and the teeth that he mentioned, they have sharp, multiple rows of teeth. Uh, and there's this great, I mean, one thing that anyone who hasn't seen this film will be shocked by is the amount of um, comedy legendary in this film. I mean, it's not just the fact that it's an SNL film. It's that there are true legends of comedy every second in this movie. Like when he goes, Beldar goes to get his teeth capped. Um, it's John Lovitz is the dentist. And that's one of my favorite scenes because there's this awesome um, practical special effect which there's a lot of great special effects in this film which I think people forget I know I certainly kind of forgot about it after years of not having seen it where Beldar is like open wide and his mouth opens all the way down like into his shoulders and it's just this gaping maw with multiple teeth and I love that John Lovett as the dentist he is this he's got this surprise look but he's not shocked and he's like well all right let's do this you know let's let's get to work (laughs) And that's a that's a that's a great moment. But but Tad, I know that you said you saw this as a kid, and now you saw it now, and you still your opinion hasn't changed much. Not really. I mean,
1: may my all right. As an adult, I grew up not really liking SNL in the first place. So basically, watching an SNL film reminds me of how much I really didn't care for the skits. I didn't really care. I didn't really care for most of the cast, even though some of these people, in their own works, are hilarious this is one of those movies where it feels like everyone is just a token to me. This is, this may be an unpopular opinion, but they rotate through so many people and it feels like, like John Lovitz was one of the only ones that actually got some decent screen time. I was like, Oh, Oh, that's right. That's right. I remember Adam Sandler's a guy, Mm -hmm. David Spade acting like this spineless little twerp that he usually plays in every goddamn movie he's ever in. And then, (laughs) Oh shit. It's Chris Farley acting like he's a teenager the thing about that is is that even though it's so ridiculous that actually worked well it's like chris farley can pull off acting like he like you you can you can just suspend your disbelief for like a little bit that he looks like a and acts like a 16 year old boy even though the man was what in his late 20s early 30s around that time i believe i, I believe so yeah mm-hmm. but yeah yeah it's i mean just, it, it's well, true I mean Chris Farley was
2: kind of like immature like that was i think that's why he paired so well with David Spade in kind of their like do it was almost like black a, sheep you yeah. know ninety year old man and then yeah. you know Chris Farley is like perpetually twelve um and and they kind of play off each other in in that sense like really well
0: and I do agree with you to a certain extent that i mean a lot of these appearances are token appearances, but i think that there's i think that there's a little bit more credit to be given for certain roles like uh, John Lovitz has a bit um, very small but he has his moment Uh, David Spade I I think David Spade did really well but yes he plays his this is his signature role Um, and but I mean just (laughs) the fact that he schmoozes up every single time to whoever is the highest (laughs) priority in the room Um, it's a nice it's just it works well and he doesn't break character either Um, and you have um, I actually really enjoyed you have Michael Richards uh, uh, Kramer from Seinfeld of course uh, who who left comedy after uh, after having a uh, racist blow up on stage uh, unfortunately he plays a motel clerk in the beginning and he plays it very straight but he I mean he does a good job you know I think He, he he sort of he's like uh can you sign the registration form for them to get a room and he just takes a look and it's just tons of like perfectly symmetrical symbols covering the entire document and he's like that's fine that's this fine. Will work. right this'll work Yeah, this'll work <laughs> right exactly um and uh and anyone because we haven't seen michael richards for a long time if anyone is interested in seeing it i, I suggest they check out um his episode of uh seinfeld's series uh comedians uh in cars Eating coffee, coffee. Yeah. yep uh and that because he's in that and it's a very interesting take uh he actually he said uh in response to why don't you try to give it a try you know people love a comeback story and he said no no i i i did something unforgivable and this is what happens when you do that and that should be what happens when you do that as opposed to someone like louis ck who physically you know uh, essentially sexually assaults a ton of women, and then is like, I'm so sorry, I did this. And then a month later, here's my new special, stop being so sensitive. Uh, You know, I kind of respect that at this point, when our people who do terrible things sort of own it. But, you know, back to the film, it's not just, you know, these people who have these parts that I think are kind of meaningful, like Michael Richards and and John Lovett. Uh, You also have people who don't necessarily have those big roles, like Adam Sandler, he has a scene, it's not necessarily a comedic scene, he plays like, kind of a gangster character who's giving Beldar his his fake passport and social security and all that jazz. Um, you have Eddie Griffin, uh, you have, uh, you know, Sinbad does have a, a larger part. Um, but then you have Drew Carey, he's, this is his first film debut and he's just a taxi passenger at one point. Like really, there's, there isn't a reason to have them in there except as sort of a token. Look, um, I get it. I don't know if you caught, uh, Parker Posey is also in this um, very
1: briefly. Uh, I believe she's she's one of the daughter of Connie's friends. Uh, I was wondering. I was trying to look. I was. I saw the credits. I'm like, oh fuck, Parker Posey was here. Where, which
0: one was she? Uh, Ellen DeGeneres. I, I think this might actually be her film debut. She's in. Um, a, she's barely even on screen. You hear her voice more than you see her as a swim coach, uh, in one scene. So it's like, I mean, really, every single little role is filled with somebody. From comedy, and and I do think that that is is fascinating, um, especially for those of us who haven't seen some of these people in a while. Um, uh, also, uh, Dan Aykroyd has a lot of family members here in this film. Um, he has uh, Peter Aykroyd. Uh, his uh, I don't I don't to be honest. I'm I'm gonna be terribly honest. I don't actually know his affiliation, um, but he is related. I think maybe it's his, his brother, but it could be anybody. I'm totally off on that front. Um, also. Uh, his little girl—it's—it's—I uh, it's, believe his niece, um, Danielle Ackroyd. The story is is that she plays the three-year-old uh, Connie um, in the the alien daughter in a flashback, and apparently the story is is she saw the she went to the taping of a bit and she saw the heads and she really liked the cone heads, and so they cast her in it so she could get a cone head made and so she could have her own cone, and. That was super cute. I love that kind of story. Um, it's just a nice, you know, it's a nice nepotism. You know, oftentimes we get crappy nepotism. Benign. Yes, exactly. No yeah. one's getting hurt. Um also it's a feel good movie. Yes. Um, a shout-out too to Lisa Jane Persky, who plays she plays Lisa Farber. She played uh that their, their kindly neighbor once they sort of made it to the middle class. Um, she's had a, a great deal of of uh great film. She's when in when Harry Met Sally, the great Santini. And I feel like she's I feel like she's she's not given credit and she's sort of forgotten. But she does a great job um sort of being the uh quote unquote all American wife who sort of, you know, puts the bug in in Jane Curtin's ear about her husband having an affair, all these little things, and she does it really well, and she just is one of those actresses who works really hard, does a fantastic job, and for some reason has never really gotten a lot of
1: notoriety. I noticed that. I couldn't really find much on her, like, what she had, what else she'd done. Apparently, it, her photography is, uh, more of her career than, than uh, film ever was. Yep. And she's still, and, and and you know, she's in circles because she's
0: still done some of these huge movies. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, playing her husband is one of my favorite people in the entire world. Jason Alexander. I, I, I look so I, young. I know. And with his, his, the fake hair, I assume <laughs> it's, it looks fake. I assume it's, it's fake hair. Um, fake. I mean, it's just, it's fantastic. And I appreciate that he's uh, been working a little more lately, at some TV stuff. And I got to say, um, it, he's one of those actors who when he started to lose weight and he's still not you know, super slim but he's, he's thinner when he started to lose weight he was told straight on after Seinfeld you're not going to get work if you lose weight um, uh, and he said you know what I'd rather lose weight screw it and sure enough he still gets work because he's Jason Alexander and he's a comedy genius so <laughs> suck it um, you don't having, have to be you don't have to be fat for voice work true it's true. It's true. Yeah. He's, he's currently, he's, he's the landlord side, uh in uh, the Harley Quinn animated series right now too. Uh, Kevin Nealon is in this as a Senator. Um, it's, it's Kevin Nealon's always nice to see. He, he's very, very small part, but he kind of, he carries it. Uh, of course, Tom Arnold as a one little tiny bit jerky golfer who he plays his typical jerk, you know, uh, It's you can tell we've literally just been talking for twenty minutes on uh just the the essential cameos in this film. It's and there's more. Uh Phil Hartman is in it. Um Mm -hmm. you can't I was gonna ding you for
2: not saying his name yet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Phil Hartman, I, I love and miss Phil Hartman so much, but I have to say this his is the most uh his role is the one where I would say agree with you, Tad, where I feel like it was the most um wasted opportunity because he's he's hilarious um and it's just not he doesn't have really any comedy moments
1: yeah Um, i mean it's a shock going you know watching a movie from the early 90s and seeing some of these people i'm like wow i have not seen mm. them in 20 plus years it's kind of it really is it's kind of makes you pause for a second sure um and and I mean
0: some of these before they were big. Yes, SNL, you know, they, they may have been on SNL, but I mean Adam Sandler did not have that big a career at this point. You know, like these people are uh we recognize them now more than we would have recognized them at the time. Yeah. Which is interesting.
2: So like, yeah, I mean, I, I totally get where you guys are seeing with like the token bit, but it, it actually didn't bother me. Uh maybe because I was in the mindset of like SNL. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it it almost played out like a series of uh, sketches, where you know, this week this this uh, you know Ellen De- De- DeGeneres is our guest star on yes. SNL. Yeah, mean? You know, it almost played, and and I almost thought it was impressive that while doing that, they put together a full narrative with character sure. arcs, et cetera, et cetera. You 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 go through the entirety of, uh, you know, the character development of. Um, all three of these cone heads uh, mm-hmm. that are kind of the, you know, the, the main, uh, you know, uh, that, as well as the immigration officers, but you go through their arc essentially throughout the entire um, story with all these other characters, just kind of, kind of weaving in and out. Um, yeah. You, you almost expect to see Sinbad again, you know, like after right. he's, he, he's like, you know, like, Oh, Sinbad, like this guy's going to be like an important part of uh, I don't even remember their names. Uh, anyways, Dan Aykroyd's character, Belldar. Yeah. Bell, yes, Beldar's life, and then you know he's just gone, right? You know, it's they, you know they, they do actually.
0: They, there's certain things they do show up occasionally, but yes, for the for the the overall narrative, they are gone, and I think. I agree with you. I'm not lying. I actually really like seeing the cameos. But I will yeah. say when you're given a part with multiple scenes like Phil Hartman's, they could have worked some better writing in there.
2: Um, yeah, I, 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 I kind of see that more of like, a, you know, when when you're writing an SNL sketch, which I assume this was written by, you know, SNL writers, you write characters that are like, you know, the focus point of the scene and they're, you know, they're the they're the funny one. And, you know, Phil Hartman actually played a lot of the flat characters in SNL sketches, Uh, though he is, you know, when they give him a, give him the focal point, like, oh man, you know, nothing's better than than Phil Hartman in my mind. Uh, Mm -hmm. I love his voice and I I love when uh, he gets a little like sarcastic. Uh,
0: Well, and I think too, I agree with you. And one thing, I actually think that the biggest success of this movie, and by the way, you're right. It is, uh, some, some writers, Bonnie and Terry Tyler, who not only did they write Coneheads, but they wrote Wayne's world, Wayne's world Two, Um, and, uh, uh a lot of TV, third rock from the sun. Um, even some, some non, you know, heavy comedy stuff, Tommy boy, uh, it feels like a full narrative i didn't feel this isn't super troopers it's not a bunch of sketches chucked together with a huge yeah. amount of ad-lib it is a true film um, yeah. with a beginning and end and there's there's lots of there's lots of bits that where they sort of captured to me the best part of a successful snl skit and i'm gonna be honest i don't like snl anymore i liked it in the, the belushi days you know like watching reruns with my parents because you know, even, and that's even before, you know, kind of before this, but the Dan Aykroyd era, Jane Curtin, um, Michael Richard, th- this was really like the last golden age. And now you have stuff where I feel like people get successful and they leave SNL to be better at their job elsewhere, like, um, uh, you know, in stand-up comedy or anything like that, uh, or, or Pete Davidson moving on to, to more uh, less comedic roles, things like that happen. Um, but the stuff that they keep from SNL that's successful are the bits where they really double down on the sort of absurdity in the midst of reality. Because SNL skits usually have that, like you said, the straight character, often the guest, and then the the complete insane scenario that they're handling at that time with the other characters. And this is one of those cases, uh, Jane Curtin is making breakfast um, for, for her family of aliens here.
1: Good morning, parental units. John, greetings, young one. What would you like for consumables? Pop-tarts? Chicken embryos? Seasoned patties of ground animal flesh? Mm, I'm not really hungry. Just some tang. Ah, tang. The drink the astronauts took to the moon. Astronauts to the moon!
0: <laughs> I, I love their laugh and their weird sounds. I mean, there's And when they make fun of our culture, it's also pretty funny to me. Um, like, one of the first things in the film is when they crash land, they get the hotel room, And Beldar goes in the bathroom and starts, like, eating soap and toilet paper off the roll. And you're like, okay, this is ridiculous slapstick. But Jane Curtin's character sits back on the bed, picks up the Gideon Bible, starts flipping through it, and just starts laughing as she's flipping through the Gideon Bible. I mean, that's that's blasphemous and hilarious. And (laughs) I really enjoyed those
1: moments. This movie feels real all the time. More real than a comedy feels like it should be. I mean it's there is no situation in the entire movie where you go yeah this this totally wouldn't happen like they just <laughs> they did that good of a job where it's just like it. Just, in fact nobody panics about the fact that there someone at some point would have been like you know what these are clearly not humans but everyone kind of just rolls with it and they're just like uh eh, they're not human whatever <laughs> they, they just get over it especially yeah. that that reminds me of uh I mean due to do the uh sector of work that I work in um, the the INS guy, the head guy. Yeah. Um, absolute spot on in terms of how a government worker acts. Basically, they will crusade <laughs> the moment up until up the moment where they get that promotion and they move on. And then that line where he's like, let the next guy handle it. I'm like, that's government right there. That is straight up government. That's 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 really terrifying. That's what I have to deal with every day. So yeah, that's, that's, that's normal. And uh, we're, we're,
0: you're talking about uh, Michael McKean, who is so good at playing the bad guy, often the bureaucrat in uh, a startling number of movies. Um, yep. I mean, that is, that is his role. And I think it's because he's got a very, he's, he's imposing. He's kind of large. He has a very cut features, um, big eyebrows um he played mr green in clue uh, he was in a mighty wind uh, he was he was in this is final tap uh, he's he's been in just a shockingly large number of successful things he also more recently was in good omens the television series uh so yeah i i think it's his character is in a in a way more of a stereotype satire than than you know um, Beldar and Primat as, as aliens who don't understand humankind because they're sort of learning and adapting and learning to enjoy uh, the things that that our lives have to offer here in the U.S. and uh, and Michael McKean is just like he's just he's just nasty he just doesn't he's not a good person um, he's not I also appreciate though that he's also not we don't see him be really evil like, I think it depends on your definition of evil. You know, I think a lot of us right now for with INS are not happy with them. I'm, I live here in Southern California and um, some of the things that, that the federal government has tried to impose are, are not nice, but not to get into that. Uh, he's, he doesn't want to, he, he's never out to kill anybody necessarily, but he wants to nail them. And that's just his white whale. And, uh, and in that way they sort of keep it light even though it really has a lot of these large issues that affect so many of our lives in it um mm. i wasn't sad while watching this movie but i felt like it also didn't trivialize
2: reality mm. yeah yeah. i mean so if, if i were to kind of mark that uh the ins uh, agent with a uh, with the kind of alignment, I would say that he was like lawful neutral. He kind of was very latched up on the rules mm-hmm. and, you know, whatever it takes to get it done. Cause it's just about the rules. Sure. I think that, you know, it's like he- the people and the, the, you know, the emotions and you know whatever else is going on just doesn't matter. It's just, you know, we're uh, we're, we're following this, this rule. They're not supposed to be here. So they're not going to be here. And I mean,
0: he's racist, right? Like, he's very yeah. clearly racist in the film. So, like, especially in the beginning when he talks about, you know, the stealing our jobs and all this, that stuff. It's all of the things we've heard in nicer forms on yeah. talking head cable news shows for for the past 30 years, but especially in, since 2006, right? Like Or 2016. Like, it's it's been it's pretty crazy and so to see it it's it looks like a satire of people we see in here every single day it's sort of like uh uh, my wife says this all the time whenever we we click through something and somebody says insane garbage about about you know foreigners or something else it's like just say you don't like brown people and that's really what this character does right he kind of says that straightforward in the beginning and you're like oh he's the villain okay we'll go i understand his motivations are clear to me without having to illustrate them that much
2: yeah is you actually kill somebody or right yeah, yeah, yeah
0: um something we haven't mentioned which i think is michelle burke who plays connie conehead and uh i thought she did a fantastic job and i was kind of i guess i was a little surprised that I haven't seen her in more high profile things. I mean, she has, she still works. Um, uh, She was in the same year. She was in Dazed and Confused. She played Jody. um, And she was the next year she was in major league Two as Nikki. So it's like, she's, and she's still being in things. She was in uh, LOL with uh, uh, the the Miley Cyrus vehicle in 2012. She's got another film coming out called Alone uh, later this year. So she's still acting, but, I thought she did a good job. She brought a little bit of sort of girl next door sexiness to this hilariously bizarre looking alien, right? Who just, as just this 80s girl who wants to, you know, go to the mall and have fun with her friends. Um, I was surprised I haven't seen her more.
1: I get the feeling that Connie is the uh, archetype for any boy growing up in our age that has a fetish for bald chicks. <laughs>
0: probably and I mean I love the 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 costume design for this film is also fantastic because Beldar the more quote-unquote American he gets the more he wears like Argyle sweater vests, like exactly what a 50s dad would wear (laughs) like he wears all of those things when he's golfing he wears like the next step up from something that's realistic but funny just ridiculous and funny um and connie wears just like really great wearable 90s fashion lots of denim denim jackets ash and wash you know uh, a, a white you know sheer tank like just you know dangly earrings just very 1990s saved by the bell you know before everything went terribly wrong with buffy the vampire slayer fashion you know what i mean? Like. it really worked is is this where you delineate the fashion line Buffy I do because if you watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer my my wife is a devout lover of Buffy the Vampire Slayer worst costuming ever
1: Uh, I'll have to I'll have to revisit because I do love that series but I uh I never paid attention much to the wardrobes it's it's
0: it's something to behold now I'll say it's very midwestern real I will give it that um (laughs) but that is that is something else Let's see. So, I mean, like I said, I really, I really enjoyed watching this film again. I think that it was one of those things where, if if you haven't, if you like silly comedies, you know, if you grew up maybe a little younger and you're not, you you never saw this, and you're used to watching Anchorman, um, watch this movie. It's fun. You could watch it with all members of the family. It doesn't mean there's tame jokes, but it means that there's, you know. It, it's, it's it's sort of one of the family films that I feel like we don't get very often anymore. Um, I also want to shout out to sci-fi fans. There's some awesome effects in this. Like when they go back to the Conehead planet, I mean, we have um, Blade Runner-esque visuals in the city. We have um, sort of dark Klingon-esque um, spaceship traveling scenes. Um, and then we have this awesome... Uh, stop motion animated battle with uh, Beldar and this big, big. Uh, I just call what it, it a rancor. <laughs> it, it it's exactly a rancor. <laughs> I mean that is exactly what it is. Um, it's like the flarg or something, <laughs> something like that. They, they call it G- Nargle the flarg. I think is what they say. And it's just like oh you've uh, he because he capped his teeth. The coneheads say that he's a traitor to their culture, so he has to fight this big beast. And actually, I've got a clip here of one of my favorite moments of this, when he is in the pit, hiding from this creature.
2: Sometimes I feel I want to eh, eh run away. I want to eh, eh get away from the-
1: pain. It's a song. Big hit on her.
0: of course they're constantly this this you know amphitheater full of coneheads making their like trademark grunting sounds like (laughs) and you have and you have him singing uh soft cells tainted love and i loved i both love the scene because i love tainted love and i think him singing it is hilarious while he's in essentially a loincloth fighting a giant stop motion animated creature uh with a makeshift golf club and you also have then um you know, the INS officer and his, his little assistant talking to like this beautiful conehead woman, like it's a song very popular on earth. You know, it's just like every, it's nothing we haven't seen before plot wise and script wise, but it's put in such insane context in this scene that I'm like, it's like, it's brand new to me. You know, it's like you take a scene from a rom-com and you throw it in the middle of a Star Wars sketch and it, it works for me see okay so to speak of cone heads we're gonna move on but uh we'll we'll go with jeff who would you recommend this film to if you would recommend it
2: oh man you know i i think it's just kind of you know the lovers of you know those people that came on screen you know like if you're you love ellen you're gonna get excited when she pops on the screen even for a second um but uh yeah i think it it also really it really lays into if you're really into kind of topical comedy you know. Just something that uh, plays in the moment. Even though this was made a long time ago, it still is still pretty relevant today. And uh, you know, it's pretty similar to the comedy that's being made today, um, even though it's uh, it's a little dated now.
0: Yep. I so so Paul. It's sort of like watching an episode of The Simpsons from 20 years ago and then realizing that it you know predicted the rise of Trump or something. It's like you're like you're like holy yeah. shit. Um, yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Uh, Tad. Would you recommend this movie and to
1: who? Uh, well, I mean, I'll recommend it to people. There are people out there who like SNL. If you like SNL, by all means, watch the movie. You couldn't do any worse. I mean, also, I would uh, say if you are a fan of any David Spade movie, PCU, where he plays a twerp, definitely. He's, he's on a t- top form for fetishists yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) oh
0: and just just as a weird thing i i remember when david spade had a talk show in what early 2000s very briefly and one of the commercials promoting it was um uh tonight on my show i have a like star firefighter who saved countless lives so and so and also i have a dog famous for air or some such movie like that and he's like guess which one gets paid more and then like (laughs) and then that was it and that made me so happy because it's it's shocking all right so we're gonna move on to the next movie here but first i want to say who i would recommend cone heads to i'd recommend cone heads to anyone who wants a light Fun comedy that's not stupid, even though the humor is stupid. Uh, go, go, go! Rent Coneheads again. I think you'll be surprised. Uh, but next up, we have our cult film for the day. Uh, Another Aliens Among Us tale. Uh, this time from Full Moon Video, who is one of my all-time favorite distributors and producers uh, companies. Full Moon Video. Uh, seriously, Charles Bland bands. Charles Band's gang at Full Moon Video has made some amazingly awesome cinema and some amazingly bad awesome cinema too. Uh, We're talking Puppet Master, uh, Brian Yusna's Castle Freak, uh, all all sorts of things. Uh, But in this case we have Bad Channels which is uh, directed by Ted Nicolau. Uh, He is probably most known for uh, directing the subspecies series of vampire movies. There's actually a new one uh, on the pipeline, or, or it's already out this year, uh, that was crowdfunded, so check that out if you're interested in sort of really weird, whispery vampire movies, I think it's a good one, uh, but he's he's also made a gajillion movies in every genre, we're talking kids movies, horror movies, um, it really it's hard to pick something he hasn't, I guess, I don't know that he's made a western, we'll throw that out there, uh, but yes, this movie's called Bad Channels, and it is, so 1990s that it's actually 1980s that's what it feels like um
1: (laughs) i'd call that accurate
0: yeah it's (laughs) it's it's it's, it's, we're talking lower budget with cone heads but you still get a lot of alien mayhem i think what most people are going to be shocked by with this movie is that it is actually it's actually a framing story around three music videos so we have a framing story of a uh a sort of counterculture DJ who's trying to rig it so he gets some TV airtime to boost his career, um, but an alien shows up, takes over the radio waves, and makes him keep talking so that people will keep listening because he uses some little video scanner to scan women who are listening and beam them into tiny form, uh, into, into like a twelve-inch tall form into these tubes, presumably so we can take it back to wherever and. I don't know. I don't know if this is some kind of disturbing spank bank situation, alien or whatever. He just waves at them. So I don't know. But that's the premise of the story. Um, and then we get these interludes of music videos where uh, the women that this creature has picked to abduct sort of go into a trance, listening to the music. And the band actually comes into the room for them. No one else can see it, but they're rocking out. And at the like climax of the song, they get abducted and put into these tubes. And the DJ is stuck in the booth. Uh, with this going on, having to figure out uh, and share with the world who doesn't believe him, uh, what the alien is up to. Does that sound accurate? That's pretty accurate. Yeah. Sounds like it. a lot. Sounds like a lot, but it's really not. Uh, alien comes to radio station, abducts women through the airwaves. Music videos are the trigger to to abduct them. It's MTV. <laughs> yes. Yes. So uh, <laughs> Tad, what was your yes. what did when you were going through this movie? What did you think?
1: Okay. It's. Uh, I am a very big stickler for the soundtrack of a film, and this actually had one of the best soundtracks I'd ever heard. Because I am a huge fan of '80s hair metal, and this was like this—this uh, this was a hidden gem. I had no idea this movie existed, and afterwards, I was like, "Shit, I need a copy of this too," because the music in it was fantastic. Which the first thing I did after I watched this movie was run out and see on, if I could get it on Amazon Music. And lo and behold, I could because it's Blue Oyster Cult and it had to be on there somewhere. Blue Oyster Cult, uh, collaborating with DMT and uh, Psychotic Symphony. Yeah,
0: yeah. So so just to throw it out there, if anyone has, if, any, if they're Blue Oyster Cult fans, there's two tracks on this that they wrote specifically for this and then an entire, uh, it's not orchestral, but an entire score that they did uh, that's like, I think, 20 tracks somewhere around there. Uh, and so the soundtrack, if you're Blue Oyster fan, is sort of an obscure must-have. Um, the the other bands mentioned, there's there's a few. Uh, my favorite song on here is is actually uh, Blind Faith by Fair Game. Who, if you look, at Fair Gain, the lead singer has done some other projects as well. But uh, it is a it is a rockin' '80s anthem, and it is the first song to come up in like the music videos and it is it is awesome i really enjoyed that and i thought tad
2: would probably like that one too oh, absolutely. Um, jeff what was your what was your takeaway when you were watching this oh my you know i, I honestly like i kind of walked in thinking it was like uh like this is going to be a slog um and uh you know it it, it started out kind of that way a little bit for me like i found the, the dj a little annoying in the first scene uh which i think he was meant to be um uh, but you know, it 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 drew me in like it uh, it, it definitely at the end I was sold. Uh, I very, very much enjoyed this film. You're you're correct in that it it's definitely a framing for three music videos that I thought got uh, increasingly uh, you know better as the film went on. So the fir- the first ones kind of get you in, uh, and then the, the last one was I thought wonderful, uh, Brilliant. and you know yep. one of the kind of the the you know showpieces of the film. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a I, I think the, the one flaw that I would I would I would have to say, and it's probably just due to limitations of uh, being able to film, is is what you mentioned. We have no idea what the motivation of these aliens are. You know, is it is it some sort of you know sexual fetish that you know they they steal people from planets? Uh, is it kind of interstellar five 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 where this is a, a girl band? that they are kidnapping to then be entertainers in the you know intergalactic scene, uh, which kind of would make sense, right? The, the musical interlude is like a audition, you know, to be in this girl band and then, you know, they don't get a chance to refuse, um, you know, entry. So, you know, I, I think it's just today's audience is going to kind of expect that sort of, um, you know, depth to the story. Um, though, it, for for me, you know, being able to use my imagination and, and supplant my own um, was almost refreshing, <clears throat> um, in in kind of a way that I didn't expect. Because I generally like to have things on the screen just show me the you know tell me the story. I don't want to tell it myself, but in this case, it it really worked for me. I like the, the abstract element.
0: I I'm gonna be honest. So what you're saying is it sounds like the lazy screenwriting actually gave you freedom to think more during the film <laughs>
1: which i
2: usually hate but it just in yeah. this case it worked yeah
0: well and I, so to get an idea of what this framing story is, sort of the quality is let's listen to the beginning um where uh the the dj dan o'dare uh who is is played by paul hip who is actually i think a, a very competent actor uh he's given a lot of monologuing in this film because he's essentially just talking to no one over the airwaves um, Let's, let's listen to it here.
2: Yo, K G U L A M turntable where the last polka recording on earth has been playing non-stop for 20 hours
0: and 14 minutes. (laughs) Ladies
2: and gentlemen, you'll never hear another tuba horn on its frequency again.
0: Here's my concern with this movie. It's not a concern. It's a criticism. Ad-libbing is a very specific skill set. And <laughs> if you don't know how to ad-lib, I don't think it's worth doing. And I'm not saying that that Hit doesn't do an okay job as Dan O'Dare. I think he does. I think he's probably the strongest actor in this film. But for me, a framing story that doesn't have super strong writing, that is... I mean an hour and a half long for three music videos there needed to be more you needed to either have more music or you needed to have some funny banter somewhere and I didn't find honestly I think there's two sort of puns or 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 jokes that I can think of in the entire thing one of them is uh, Bunny the uh, high school ditz who calls in a couple of times and gets abducted she says like like she's giving they're giving asking for a combination to unlock Dan O'Dare so he can take the poker <laughs> record off and he won't do it until uh and start playing rock and roll until somebody guesses the combination and they also win a car it's a lot of unnecessary information they she gives him measurements and it's clearly the measurements for like a very sexy woman and he's like you sound a lot more interesting than I thought <laughs> i don't even know if that qualifies as a joke it's kind of a quip and then um he has a couple of like you know sexual jokes that are just they're not they're not even jokes that's the thing i think as as far as humor goes it's a goofy story that's not funny and to me i did find it a slog and i've also watched this movie several times so it might be that if you're not the kind of person to watch a movie multiple times anyway uh, you're not gonna mind that as much Mm. but i was sort of like okay Dan (laughs) still talking and this isn't really to rip on uh the the screenwriter. Uh, Of course, Charles Band, um, who runs Full Moon Video, this is uh, from an original idea by him, and that's the case for a lot of their films. Um, But Jackson Barr uh, wrote this, and he's written some other, lots of other movies that are, are, I think, way better quality um, from Full Moon. For example, he wrote uh, Transfers 2, which was fun. He wrote uh, the 93 version of Mandroid, not the recent one. Um, But especially, he wrote Robot Wars in 1993 also, which I love that movie. That is a fantastic, little-known sci-fi mech warrior fantasy. Totally check that movie out. So he can do some good stuff. This is not his greatest work. Um, Ted Nicolau, I think his, as a director, I love his atmosphere. I love the setup and the vibe he gives in his movies. He, he's able to differentiate it between films, but it still feels like his kind of atmospheric movie. But pacing is not his strong suit. Uh, pacing has never been his strong suit. Anyone who is a fan of subspecies will know this. There's a lot of scenes that, yes, they go from A to B, but they kind of meander before they get there. Um, the music videos are fun, except, and I'm going to jump in here and critique that they get better. The second music video, that song, is everything that is wrong with 90s and early 2000s music. Oh it is. My God the worst like oh
1: okay. <laughs> i actually don't remember it so i'm not going to argue um, on this it's the I, one that started off sounding like a tool song
0: yeah it it sound yes it's um it's by dmt it's by dmt it's called touching myself again and it is it's this is what happens when you grow up listening only to guns and roses and then alice in chains comes out and then you think i'm going to do that you come up with a song whose chorus is touching myself again, touching myself Mm. again, hoping that she'll be my friend, touching myself again. (laughs) Now, okay, (laughs) full disclosure, Full disclosure, Tad and I have been in several bands together before. And uh, right. the Chud, who provides our music, is is one of those bands. And I will tell you this. we I have written some horrible lyrics. I have written some god-awful, ridiculous <laughs> we have, lyrics. We have written some awful songs. And, in uh, and yet I don't think I despise any of them as much as I despise that chorus. It is... <laughs> it is heinous and then you have their there there is it their bass player who is just wearing a, a giant denim onesie with no shoes um who's looming over the guitar it is it literally looks like you stepped into you know I don't know, 1998, 1999 into an FYE music store and just walked up when they still had those kiosks you could listen to. And that was the first thing. It's like, oh, Stone Sour and this band. And it was bad. I didn't like it. I'm sorry, DMT. I'm sure you're <laughs> wonderful people. I'd love to have you on the show. Uh, but I despise that song. And I thought it was the weakest music video by far. Uh, they're
1: in a, they're it in just a gym. Yeah, it goes to show. It's, um, it's amazing how much collaboration you and I have been able to do considering every time you have you have an issue it's like oh that's my favorite that was my favorite one that is that is unfortunate
0: that is a terrible that's a terrible i'm not gonna i'm not even going to talk about the fact that you said the third part of the caribbean movie was the best either we're not going to talk about that oh
1: oh. i have
0: have respect for you i'm not going to bring that up
1: that one needs its own
0: podcast um yeah so
1: can i be there to watch
2: you two fight but (laughs) (laughs) you can be you can ref. here's the thing i i think we can Uh, okay you win then (laughs) And it, it, you being Nate.
0: <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds like Jeff and I agree, though, that um, probably the best song, the most fun was, uh, was, and not only, I mean, I bought this soundtrack on vinyl, okay? I have the soundtrack on vinyl. Uh, it's, it's not just as a curiosity. I actually think it's pretty great. Of course, Boy Sturkel's fantastic. Um, I did really like uh, Fair Game song, but uh, Psychotic Symphony, and that's S Y K O T I K. S-I-N-F-O-N-E-Y, uh, just to be cute. That's, these guys are fantastic, and they did the third music video, and they also do the main credit song. And let's just listen to a piece of this song here. The song uh, is, is in the video. It's called Manic Depresso. madness is pure madness and the video is equal madness they're in a hospital the the woman being abducted is a nurse she ends up like taking off her her gown and having like a black slip and 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 sexy garters and it is it is truly nuts now this band in this video there's a nurse they're, they're dressed up weird there's one in a nurse outfit the lead singer is in a cow outfit with an udder and weird face paint It's like, this was the sort of insanity that Slipknot thought they were doing, which was just, they played it serious and it just doesn't work. It's just, in my opinion, commercial crap. Psychotic Symphony got it, okay? It's insane. It's like, um, if you took uh, Doctors and 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 mixed it with Guar and you had a band, that's these guys. And it totally is worth seeing. It really also indicates when you go from the first one with Blind Faith, where it's a very 80s metal hairband song, and then you go to the end and you get to what really is like the very small amount of underground, uh, bizarre metal from the 2000s. Because remember, that's when metal became popular again and we got all sorts of garbage, new metal bands uh, jumping around. And this is that, that very small layer that was still underground. I think they're great, I, I worship these guys, they're as weird as they pretend to be, and it totally works, it totally works. But yeah, this was my, that was my favorite video, so that actually really elevated the film for me because the slog between you know, the, the, the dialogue that I didn't think was that great, um, and then you get this song, and I'm like, great, now let's head to the finish, and then you end with another Psychotic Symphony song in the credits in it. It brought me around, it brought me around.
1: It's like, uh, like squeezing some Primus and then mixing some Scatterbrain as well. As yeah. if Scatterbrain had another album besides that one they had. Oh, I wish they had put out another album.
0: Uh, reach out to us. We'll, we'll produce you. Um, yeah, I, I guess that, that to me was pretty, was pretty fantastic. Um, mm. I do, again, I, just to return to the fact that I think it's weird though to have this film that's essentially a framing story and you only have three videos. Um, yeah. It, because it's an hour and a half that's those three videos are like they're less than 10 minutes a piece so it could have been
2: 10 girls in the cubes at the <laughs> end right. right exactly <laughs> yeah.
0: and you have um and you just didn't have it the other i mean a lot of the movie i think part of the reason why it sort of chugs for me a little bit is a lot of it is just Paul Hips Dan O'Dare character monologuing into a microphone saying essentially the same thing over and over again, which is people listen to me. This is real. It's terrible. Now I'm going to describe what he's doing. I don't need you to describe what he's doing. I know they're listening, but I'm watching. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't need the blow by blow. <laughs> and also, so the alien is accompanied by like his helper robot, right? So the alien has uh, what Dan O'Dare's character calls a scrotum head and it's kind of accurate. It looks like a giant mm-hmm. green... <laughs> I mean, it's huge it's like this big over a person's shoulders and a little tiny viewfinder that you never see through and then a cool space outfit like I like his design it's funky I like it and then you have a robot who is really cool looks sort of like Fugitoid from the comic and from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles like this little ro- dainty robot with sort of brain head um, and who explodes gloriously spoiler alert in the movie but they're sort of setting up the audio equipment and they have this fungus that they cover everything with. I don't, I, fungus because it probably is easy to make foam insulation look like fungus, would be my guess. But here's a clip of Dan O'Dare and this is, this is really what a huge chunk of this movie's like.
2: <sighs> a little while ago, Quirky f- fought with the aliens trying to rescue a 12 inch girl from a, a glass bubble. Recognized her as a waitress from the local truck stop. Corky Bradford tried to save that girl. The aliens killed him. That's
0: what we get. And I cut it there because there's like two more minutes of it, of that one little bit. And it's sort of like, I guess it's just, it's just not necessary. It's this time filler. And I feel like a lot of the movie is a time filler. Oh Um, yeah. And so that was my biggest complaint with this one. Uh, the effects are okay. Um, you get some good direct-to-video effects with the, the alien and the creature. And if you have a good creature in it, I'm going to give you a pass, because that's the hardest part. Everything else is sort of phoned in. There's a lot of green spray insulation. There's a lot of... Um, There's a couple of scenes of like fungus that some guy gets infected with at the hospital that reacts to the radio music and like thrives around like weird little penile heads and that that works. I mean, we've all seen it before, but it's not bad. I don't know if you guys if you guys bought the effects.
2: Um, I I thought like the that scene ended up being like a little confusing. It was uh, probably because of production. Uh, Hmm. You know the. The, you know the ordering of events, and like, you know, it it felt a little. Um, uh, it would lacked cohesion throughout the scene. Um, it, uh, you know, from from moment to moment, you like I had to rewind a couple times. I was like, what, what the, what happened? What just happened there? <laughs> like, and it was like, oh, they never actually showed what happened, so I have to just right. like us uh, make an assumption as to to the the, the scenario. Uh, you know, and this character is, you know, somehow super good with these, you know, like hentai uh, dildos, um, like instantly. You know, I mean, yeah, the film is, you know, like you said, maybe missing like 50, like, you know, script elements. Um, and for some reason, I guess when I was watching it, I was filling them in myself. And that, mm. that was entertaining for me. Sure. Um uh, And I think the only thing that that it really needed was, like, at the end to, like, maybe have, like, a scene or two that kind of just brought those, all of those questions, Mm -hmm. like, to, you know, because, like, I have my opinions on how this happened. It was like, oh, there was, like, some sort of brilliant plot to keep this guy talking because, like, they knew he was going to keep talking if they kind of ignored him and, like, let him go. Like, he couldn't stop talking. It was, like, cycle, like, you know, part of his psychology that, that he just all you had to do was stop talking. <laughs> and there's yeah. a scene where it basically was like, oh, if I stop talking, all of the problems will go away. And he keeps but- fucking talking. <laughs> <laughs> he just keeps talking. So it's like, yeah. they pick the perfect guy who has like this weird, you know, inability to shut up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they they have this kind of a Machiavellian plot to, to, to steal these women. But then it just, it never, they yeah. never conclude it. You know, and it's right. like, it could have ended with you know a scene of of the one woman that they did kid, like end up kidnapping, um, mm-hmm. you know, singing in front of like a bunch of aliens, you know, and it's like, yeah. oh, okay, they, now I understand why they're doing this. At least you're
0: really stuck on this Interstellar five five five, which case- I am. <laughs> that's how it. That's that. That was
2: the movie I watched. By in the case, way. In case you- <laughs>
0: In case you guys don't know what that is, it is an anime, an anime film that's created around uh, an amazing Daft Punk album. So it's actually, I believe it's out of print, kind of hard to find. But you can watch it online, or you know, I highly recommend you buy the film somehow. Uh, it is an awesome film. So uh, it'd be a good pair for this one. But yeah, I I, I agree with you. Um, I think that sort of what you're saying with it, it, it's clearly not supposed to be taken seriously, and because it's that, it's like it feels like a late night monster flick fair. And it works, and I enjoyed the the weird music interludes because it is unusual to hear music take the center stage as opposed to just the background. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think Jeff, you were saying that the the video itself also is like the audio, right? Like it took center stage and sort of took over the picture.
2: Yeah. And that Absolutely. Was- yeah that that was like you know that was like the charismatic lead of the film was yeah. was the, the vinyl music video. Yeah, Yeah. yeah.
0: I totally agree with you on that front. Um, I think one of the things that was irritating to me is the female co-star lead uh, or co-lead. She the one she's the um, the news reporter who's sent to interview Dan O'Dare, and then she finds out that it was all a, a marketing stunt that she put together. And it's uh, it's the actress is Martha Quinn. Her character's name is Lisa Cummings. Now, so. She's been in some awesome bad movies, by the way. Um, she's in uh and <clears throat> uh, she she acts she was in the Weird Owl show. Um I don't know if anybody remembers that from the from the late 90s. Um she was in uh Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town, very well known in the cult circles. Um Eddie and the Cruisers 2, Eddie Lives, which is a weird film if you ever watched the first one. It's like just kidding, he's not dead. So She's done some some stuff. I don't think she's a bad actress, but her character is completely motivationless. She's angry at Dan O'Dare. And I don't really know why hundred percent. Like it sounds like she has a crappy job and a crappy boss anyway. And so when he's like, Yes, I set this up so you'd come interview me, she's like, Yeah, like you're beneath me. And I'm like, You're you're in the middle of nowhere for a nowhere news channel. Why are you so angry?
2: Did anybody else pick up on that? Like, the unmotivated it, it, anger? It was an awkward scene, for sure. I didn't understand her character. Um, and I don't know if it was just because, like, the writer had, like, written, like, three pages of script. And then they're like, ah, we're not going to shoot that. I, I, I don't know what it was. But, like, she she didn't, yeah, she didn't make any sense. like
0: uh, Yeah. And it's almost like we're supposed to, like... It's like we were given the trope of like, uh, bad boy, good girl, good girl's like no bad boy, you're not for me because you're not good. And then at the end, like, oh, it all comes around like it's that's the trope, right? And it's like, we're supposed to just assume that but it's sort of like when you miss key components of the trope to make it make sense when you actually think about it, you're like, wait, what the fuck is happening? Um, and I think that's what happened here because that's how we start the movie is she's like, get out of here, Dan O'Dare, you're a loser. And then like, at the end, he comes out and sh- they embrace and have a passionate kiss. And you're like, what? Are you guys in love somehow? What happened? Like, y- you guys haven't spent any more time together. He's been locked in a booth talking to no one on a radio and she's been, I don't know, hulking a camera around herself filming people in the hospital. <laughs> like, you're like, what? where did this romance blossom? <laughs>
1: well I mean that's part of the trope right like all of a sudden we have feelings for each other why I don't know you saved me you yay. know from a, a bubble
0: yay and, and also you now own
2: me
1: <laughs> right
0: right <laughs> you're like no you're still kind of a sleaze bag who lost his job for having he lost his job right at being for having sex on the air with an officer a police officer or something and, uh, and then he got hired by this polka station that realized they could broadcast nationwide over channel 666. So they, which by the way, I'm actually disappointed that it wasn't some sort of supernatural. Um, I was certain that movie. was where it was going. Yeah, Right, because, because you have a setup like that. Like I expect Satan to take over the airwaves. And for metal, you could have had the most badass metal. Like I would like to do a version of this movie. Where it is like a supernatural demonic presence. That's that's great. It was a bait and switch. They're like, "Hey, you're gonna get demons." Yeah. Oh, <laughs> then it, oh, it's aliens. <laughs> yeah. We only had blue and green spray paint, not red and yellow spray paint. So <laughs> yeah. You're hey, out of gotta, luck.
1: Got to work with what you got. Right. Let me let me let me again. Let me let me let me talk a little bit about this actress or this character more specifically, because Nate, I'm I'm still unsure. Three episodes in. If uh, your choices are based on your severe love for Ninja Turtles, or where it's my bias towards Ninja Turtles, because obviously <laughs> this is one of those movies that it feels because of because of the of the as you could as as I would put it the Hollywood incest. A lot of these themes seem to kind of mush together. Plus, you know, a lot of people work on the same stuff. I got a real big April O'Neil vibe from that actress Uh, and for a while i was like was she in april there were three different aprils was she one of them did she do the voice for april (laughs) she was not but it was not i can see the vibe yeah yeah so bear with me this is going to be just like with ultimate fight (laughs) this felt like another ninja Turtles side story except the turtles never showed up april's pissed off because what's his name her boss sent her down some bullshit story once again she's all mad about it and then this all happens. And instead of the turtles actually showing up, this dude has to do it himself. And Vernon already ran off like five minutes into the movie. Vernon was just like, oh, peace out. I'm out. I, mm. I, think, I think the closest
0: I'd see to that is that the alien looks like one of the 90s Ninja Turtle toys
1: would have happened. Like the exactly. bulb is over-accentuated. I'd buy that. Yeah. Mm. That's, that's, that's really the only that's, – that's, that's really it. Like the only thing that was missing was a sewer. Like there was no sewer scene, and a plot. And a pl- can- Since when did Ninja Turtles need a plot? Blast for me! Blast All
2: right, you were gonna say something, Jeff. Uh, yeah, I was just saying. I think uh, Tad's working a little hard to make the CCU, the uh, Cult in Classic Universe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it becomes a general theme, you know that, that'll be fun. But uh, it's a bit of a stretch here. I, I think
0: it's a stretch as well. I, I would love it to it's work, but I think it's a stretch. Oh, come on,
1: think I wasn't stretching with Ultimate Fight. Come on. No, no man, I that was that was
0: Ninja Turtles. You know, one point five. There's, I, I think we've <laughs> yeah. established that. Um, You're welcome, listeners.
1: <laughs>
0: so the the actress, yeah, and and again, like I, she. She's been in some some good stuff, otherwise, so I'm sure she's great. But and this is a uh, hit below the belt. But it's hard when your co-star women that get abducted by the alien are like all like '80s and '90s video vixens for heavy metal films, where they're like they're beautiful, they're tall, they're blonde, or they're bouncy. And then the alien takes her, and you're like, I'm sorry, <laughs> you're you're not you're not ugly, but you're not beautiful. Like, what and I'm I'm things? talking. I, does not look like the other things.
2: Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, she, I mean, she didn't act like the other.
0: The other ones were,
2: you know, a little well,
0: bit, right. And yeah. so I'm like, I'm like, Alien, why did you go and what is it? Was the town called Pahuta? Right, it's like Pahuta, and you're like, yeah. it's supposed to be a podunk town, and you're just like, um did you just not want to sh- sketch through any of those channels, or are there are only five women in the entire county, and this is
2: the top four? Like, so, so back to me writing my own version of this story. <laughs> she didn't dance. I mean, this was an audition to be a intergalactic <laughs> dancing girl in, you know, or, uh, um, you know, uh, girl band. It, where was the dancing? She just stood there with the camera. Like, that was, I don't think she passed the audition in my, in my mind. <laughs> no, they, there, uh, wasn't
0: even a, there wasn't even a music video, really. There wasn't yeah, there at was all. A, yeah. She just there's gets our fourth
2: music video we didn't get.
0: Right. It's just like she's abducted. And all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a minute. You didn't even need the music like what like is this is this the aliens demo tape like is he just putting that in there and he's
1: like somebody <laughs> sign me Beep. and right. i don't i don't understand nate this is your nightmare it turns that we're gonna we're gonna do a little more research it turns out there were 12 music videos and they decided that uh touching myself again was in the top three <laughs> and they and they throw it in there yeah i'm
0: not i'm not surprised it's it's and here's here's my problem my my biggest problem besides the lyrics being bad for touching myself again is dmt in general it sounds like there's no real strong musicality to it it sounds like every like gibberish uh one set distortion like post prog rock hard rock like i just i'm like i'm like what is this is this is this Alice in Chains? Is it uh, Days of the New after they were no longer good? Like what, what happened here? Like is this is this what inspired Creed? Like I don't understand. Like there's no, it's just grunge without any of the talent and satire, you know? So I just, I didn't like it at all. I, I'm, I'm, again, I'm sorry DMT. I,
2: I don't wanna lose you as listeners. Uh, it amuses me that you hate this so much. Uh, but actually, n- I I honestly don't even really remember it very much uh, except for the kind of creepy band guy kind of sneaking into the scene. Um, yeah. But yes. uh, yeah, based on your description and and not my memory, it, it makes me think of uh, the like the AI bots writing songs. It's it like, is one
0: hundred percent by the numbers. Like, oh, yeah, this is like, what kids in the '90s like. Oh, Kurt Cobain's yeah. dead, so listen to this. And I'm like, no. No, I'm not going to do that. Like, I can still buy a Nirvana patch and move on with my life. You're stuck listening to this garbage. And then, and that what shocked me is that it was so, like, the music is so disparate. The three songs that they choose really are not thematically related at all. Like, you could call them metal ish. Um, I think Psychotic Symphony is definitely a form of metal. And of course, Blind Faith is certainly 80s metal. And then, like, but then I, I just didn't get it in the middle. I'm like, this is something that would play on like the variety station in every town, everywhere on the top 40, and it would sell a bunch of copies and then they would, you know, become three doors down. Like, There you go, you cracked the code, man. I, I know, it's, it's just not, I, I didn't dig it. Um, <laughs> it's, but that, that just could be me. I think, uh, uh, I
1: think, I think if you recall, we had a certain band member who before joining our band, Wrote a song called "Riding the Dragon" that was clearly about masturbation. Maybe he wrote it. Actually, no. He would be. Who was young. that? That was Dave. Oh. Uh, hi Dave. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to mention his. We're not going to mention his full name. Hi Dave. Maybe we'll
0: have you on the show someday, Dave. Um, I would totally be down for that. <laughs> so awful. yeah, I I guess I just don't. Like that metal song, and also I think it's the weakest of the videos. As you said, it's in the school gymnasium. There's this weird side plot where this character, um, Bunny, who's one of the you know the the for lack of better words airhead character girls who gets abducted. Um, she's played by Daryl Strauss, who uh, has has done some things as well. Um, she was in a 2002 video called Shades of Grey. I'm sure she's done more but I haven't heard of it but I liked her character she's like a whiny like am I on the air like kind of the Marilyn Monroe thing but she's after school trying to learn her like cymbal solo or something with the band and one of the bandmates is like um uh I don't even know how you describe him like He's just this weird like hair parted down the middle Weasley kind of guy who I don't know if they're supposed to be a couple. He keeps leering at her, but then also scowling at her and she looks at him and he's playing tuba and I, does anybody have any insight into that? I don't understand what that was.
1: A Throwaway joke that never went anywhere. I mean, I do remember the comment about it like these boys are staying after school. To make sure that you can do your cymbal solo, something along those lines, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm sure. They, I'm sure they're doing it out of the kindness of their heart." Yeah, that that I mean, that was
0: that was it. Um, and then <laughs> and but in during the music video, you know, when she goes into the trance and the band shows up playing there, and I mean, here's why I say Axl Rose because he has the growly voice that is clearly you, I mean, we all wish we were Axl Rose in vocal terms, right? But like, he also has like the Uh, the headband along his stringy hair and it's just not okay and then while they're playing she's rocking out but cannot dance bless her heart in the middle and then this guy who I mean he's he's really like the um the poor man's Crispin Glover who I'm I love I'm obsessed with but like he's like lurching in and I don't know like it's like is he supposed to be gay and doesn't want to touch a girl and I'm not saying all oh, gay people don't want to touch a girl but that was the stereotype that they were sort of playing right like he's really like weird and sort of like awkward around her and just I I don't even I don't know that whole scene I was just like I understand why you don't remember it Jeff even though it was probably the longest friggin oh, I, I remember that part yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 and 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 at the end and this is like it's like well, a they, callback. It was also
2: I mean, I do remember it was in a jib, and they were just like it was just a band playing.
0: Yeah, like because yeah, all I mean, the other ones. Much else to it, right? All the other ones that are not actually standing there playing the instruments, right? Like, yeah, yeah, um, you know, Blind Faith is all of the women playing the instruments, like in a cr- crowded bar uh, or a diner, and like she's the woman who's abducted is dancing on the table and stuff. And then like mm-hmm. and the lead singers like screaming at like patrons at the at the diner table. So it made sense. Like this looks like an eighties, like you know, yeah, it was like a metal concert in
2: a diner, you know? Yeah, this is a like twisted sister music video. Yeah. yeah and yeah, then
0: yeah. and then, you know, psychotic Symphonies final one is like like it's it's a madness. Like they're in the hospital and they're all dancing and there's each character's in a different room, and it's just it's pure insanity and it feels like a music video for them. But the middle one, I'm like, did I guess it does feel like a music video for them and it's just as trite and dull <laughs> as, as I, I don't understand. Like they ran out of ideas and like, Oh, we better put this one in the middle because the first one and the last one are stronger. Um, there's a callback to that weird band guy and bunny who's abducted because she's the only one that somehow they forget she's in the tube and don't unshrink her. I, I don't yeah. understand how that happened, but she's mastered the,
2: the hentai you know, penises, yeah. but uh, he, he just missed one, and then, you know, they figured and, it out later.
0: And and then, yeah, yeah and well, here's the thing. So um, fans of the <coughs> full, moon, full Moon Video series uh, will remember Doll Man, who came out, I think, two years, 91, somewhere around there, one or two years uh, before this film, um, and it's about a tiny alien who is a badass, like, bounty hunter kind of guy, uh, and it's fun. I love it. There's a semi-sequel, Crossover film as well, but did either of you guys catch the post-credit scene for this one? Because the post-credit scene is starring Doll Man. He's wa- he's hitchhiking or walking along this big empty stretch of road, presumably towards Pahuda. And he's like, "I'm going to Pahuda. Apparently, there's a 12-inch tall girl named Bunny, and she could use some cheering up." And and that's like, and then it's like, Doll Man, come see Doll Man. And I loved that sort of like pre-Marvel, but post like 1970s teaser, you know, for another Mm. film at the end. I thought that was a nice touch because it feels like that kind of movie Um, that would have another. And I love the, the full moon, again, connected universe, the full moon was like all of these things happen in the same realm, you know, puppet master, demonic toys, all of
1: these things are in the same world it's really weird seeing how many studios tried to pull something off like that before mm-hmm. it, the, before the form was finally perfected. Well, and I mean, to be fair, like full moon video has been doing it for,
0: for decades now. Right. Cause you have so like they, they, their films cost a little money overall that they can, yeah. they can make a million and do an entire crossover film like demonic toys did you know, demonic toys versus dollman, or dollman versus demonic toys. Like it's a full crossover film. You have puppet master versus demonic toys. You have um, uh, lots of crossovers in the evil bong movies that that Charles Band has made. Like so, they they really when you don't have the freedom. I mean, you have the freedom of not like being responsible to a, a really large studio. I think that you can do stuff like that because um, and if it doesn't work who cares It's still out there and they they just make another one you know they make another puppet master that's serious again you know it doesn't have to be um it doesn't have to be this oh god this is a multi-million dollar flop we're not a you know the mummy is no longer connected oh, to yeah. the brendan fraser the mummy you know it's like, like it's not gonna happen
1: universal um, try to, trying to jump the gun there and uh falling flat on their ass they tried they tried i um, don't know i don't know how hard they tried though it looked like they had no plan whatsoever <laughs> I don't,
0: who knows, you know, Warner, I, I love DC Comics, Warner Brothers, they're my boys, they're my girls, but uh, they're my everything in between, but they have been falling victim of this uh, oversensitivity to uh, focus group and crowd reaction that has caused them to switch and back and forth and delay and rewrite so many things so many times um, that, you know, it's the kind of thing that a studio like Full Moon Video doesn't have to do, and that's why I applaud them.
1: Yeah, this is this was one of those movies that kind of made me miss when you could make a movie like this—a stupid, pointless movie <laughs> that was clearly a lot. Like they probably had a blast making this movie, or at least I would have had a blast writing it, coming sure. up with these stupid ideas. We, I mean, we've done that before. It's like, what's the stupidest idea we can come with and try and make an actual decent film out of it? Right. I miss this. They, like, the, you can't you can't get movies like this anymore because no one either has the money or they won't take the risk or someone did make it and you don't know about it because they can't market it. And, and I mean, that's, it's true.
0: Um, to an extent, although I will say, um, that, uh, you can see it if you go to full moon features. Yeah. Uh, sponsor <laughs> us. So yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's the thing, you know, you, you get these, uh, I remember Donald Farmer has a Donald Farmer connected universe. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and just, I also want to put a plug out for, um, uh, the massive amount of full moon video films available uh, on full moon video streaming services, including Barbie and Kendra save the Tiger King. Yeah, that's a thing that they actually made. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Tad, who would you recommend this film to?
1: This is uh, this is people who either grew up with or just enjoyed monster vision and wanted to see one of the movies that just never made it into the rotation. Cause this, this was a, this should have been a monster vision movie. Joe Bob Briggs would have wonderfully. Yeah, I should have seen this movie back before I was in high school, but, uh, Oh, well better late than never. Right. So yeah, I'd recommend it to anyone who likes that. Anyone who likes, uh, ob- uh not so obscure references to shitty nineties music as well. Awesome. Jeff,
2: what's your take? Oh, man. So, you know, both of these films, I feel like I would have hated when I was younger. Um, and I think I did hate Coneheads when I was younger. Um, because I think you have to bring a lot to both of these films to, mm. to, to, to enjoy them. You got to, you know, enjoy the the current state of immigration to love Coneheads. You know, you have to, uh, you have to basically write the story of bad channels as you're watching it. Uh, in your own imagination, uh, to get there. So I think, yeah, I think that's you know, I think this is more for uh, you know an older crowd, somebody that can really uh, you know bring bring their own experiences into a film, um, something that, uh, that that they can they can um, you know enjoy how it relates to to them and the world around. Them.
0: I don't know. It sounds like we're going to get a lot of uh, bad channels fan fiction out of Jeff. Hey, man, if the people want it, I'll write it. Uh, i I think both of you guys are right. I would recommend bad channels to people who miss that uh, late night movie vibe and uh, also people who just want to hear some some obscure music and maybe one of those three songs you 're really going to love and also if you 're a Blue or cult fan, you have to watch this movie it's they did the soundtrack so if you 're and it, it does show the movie 's actual soundtrack beyond the music videos is far head and shoulders above the quality of most of the film itself so i think it really mm. is it's is worth seeing in that um and it's worth checking out the the record which i think will be uh more interesting to you after you've seen the film although i think it certainly stands on its own except for touching myself again which <laughs> is... I, I would
2: actually add to a point to that so I, I watch uh tron legacy just as like a music video it's like i just yeah. i just listen to it yeah, and then, da- you know, the Daft
0: Punk soundtrack for that is phenomenal. Get the UK yeah. edition because it's got tracks that yeah. were not on the American release, which is
2: ridiculous. But anyway, so I suppose watching Bad Channels for a similar reason would make Sure, sense,
0: yeah, sure. Yeah, it's not a bad background movie, and it might actually be a good background movie at like a party because there's weird stuff happening occasionally, and then you get these these rocking tracks. So I'd give that a I'd give that a shout. I'd give that a shot. Yeah. All right. Well. That is uh, it for this episode of Cult and Classic. As always, the audio clips that we use are used for review purposes. uh, To play us out, we're gonna have some music by The Chud. Thank you so much to The Chud. And uh, remember, you can follow them at Facebook at facebook.com slash The Chud Band. Lastly, Uh, If you like this podcast, make sure you review us on your favorite podcast platform and donate at cultandclassicpodcast.com. This is Nate Wyckoff signing off for another episode of Cult and Classic.